Chapter One of the Spider by Fergus Hume. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter One A Possible Partnership. The exterior of the Athenian Club, Pall Mall, represents an ordinary twentieth century mansion, which it is but within the name is justified by a greco-roman architecture of vast spaces marble floors painted ceilings and pillared walls adapted more or less successfully to the chilly british climate the various rooms are called by latin names and the use of these is rigidly enforced standing outside the mansion you know that you are in london enter and you behold athens say the abode of alcibiades listen and scraps of speech suggest imperial rome thus the tastes of all the members whether old and pedantic or young and frivolous are consulted and gratified modern slang as well as the stately tongue of virgil is heard in the athenian for the club like st paul is all things to all men for that reason it is a commercial success strangers they come eagerly with members to behold rumoured glories enter the club-house through imitation bronze gates into the vestibulum and pass through an inner door into the atrium this means that they leave the entrance room for the general conversation apartment to the right of this looking from the doorway is the tablinum which answers perhaps not very correctly as regards the name the purposes of a library to the left a lordly portal gives admittance into the triclinium that is to the dining-room at the end of the atrium which is the neutral ground of the club where members and strangers meet swing doors shut in the pinacoteca properly this should be a picture gallery but in deference to modern requirements it is used as a smoking-room these three rooms spacious ornate and lofty open under a colonnade or peristyle on to a glass-roofed winter garden which runs like a narrow passage round the three sides of the building the viridarium as the members call this cultivated strip of land extends only twenty feet from the marble pavement of the peristyle and is bounded by the side walls and rear walls of adjacent houses it is filled with palms and tropical plants with foreign and native flowers and owing to a skilful concealment of its limitations by the use of enormous mirrors festooned with creepers and ivy it really resembles vast pleasure gardens extending to great distances the outlook from the tablinum the pinacoteca and the triclinium is a triumph of perspective below the state apartments on the ground floor are the kitchens the domestic offices and the servants rooms above them the cubicles are to be found where members both resident or non-resident sleep when disposed on beds more comfortable than classical finally on the top floor and reached by a lift are billiard rooms card rooms and a small gymnasium for those who require exercise the whole scheme is modelled on a larger scale from the house of glaucus as described by bulwer lytton in the last days of pompeii a perusal of this famous story suggested the novelty to an enterprising builder and the athenian club is the successful result 
the members of such a club should have been classical scholars but these were the minority the greater portion of those who patronized this latest london freak were extremely up-to-date and defended their insistent modernity amidst ancient artificial environment by acts seventeen twenty one for the athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing and certainly they acted well up to the text for all the scandal and novelty of the metropolis seemed to flow from this pseudo-classical source plays were discussed in manuscript novels on the eve of publication inventors came here to suggest plans for airships or to explain how the earth could signal to mars some members had brand new ideas for the improvement of motor mechanism others desired to evolve color from sound detailing with many words how music could be made visible as to politics the athenians knew everything which was going on behind the scenes and could foretell equally truthfully a war a change of government the abdication of a monarch or the revolt of an oppressed people if any traveller arrived from the land at the back of beyond with an account of a newly discovered island or an entirely new animal he was sure to be a member of the club thus although the interior of the pall mall mansion suggested greece and rome nero and pericles the appointments for comfort for the quick dispatch of business or pleasure and the ideas conversation and dress of the members were if anything six months ahead of the present year of grace the athenian club was really a mixture or blending of two far apart epochs the very ancient and the very modern but the dark ages were left out as the members had no use for medieval ignorance over the mosaic dog with his warning lettering cave canem strolled one warm evening in june a young man of twenty-four whose physical appearance was more in keeping with the classical surroundings than were his faultlessly fitting dress clothes his oval clean-shaven face was that of a pure-blooded helene his curly golden hair and large blue eyes like the sky of italy at noon suggested the sun-god and his figure limber active and slender resembled the hermes of the palestra he was almost aggressively handsome and apparently knew that he was for he swaggered in with a haughty lord of the world air entirely confident of himself and of his capabilities his exuberant vitality was as pronounced as were his good looks and there was a finish about his toilette which hinted at a determination to make the most of his appearance he assuredly succeeded in accentuating what nature had done for him since even the attendant who approached to remove the young man's light overcoat appeared to be struck by this splendid vision of perfect health perfect beauty and perfect lordship of existence all the fairies must have come to the cradle of this fortunate young gentleman with profuse gifts he seemed to be the embodiment of joyous life is mr arthur vernon here he asked settling his waistcoat touching the flower on his buttonhole and pulling a handkerchief out of his left sleeve in the pinacoteca sir was the reply for all the attendants were carefully instructed in correct pronunciation shall i tell him you are here mr maunders the gentleman thus named yawned lazily thanks i shall see him myself 
and with a nod to the man he walked lightly through the atrium looking like one of flaxman's creations only he was more clothed throwing keen glances right and left to see who was present and who was not mr maunders entered the pinacoteca this was an oblong apartment with marble walls on three sides and a lordly range of pillars on the fourth which was entirely open to the gardens beyond could be seen the luxuriant vegetation of the undergrowth whence sprang tall palms duplicated in the background of mirrors the mosaic pavement of the smoking-room was strewn with persian praying-mats whose vivid colouring matched the pictured floor there were deep armchairs and softly cushioned sofas all upholstered in dark red leather which contrasted pleasantly with the snowy walls many small tables of white metal and classical shapes were dotted here there and everywhere as it was mid-june and extremely close the fireplace looking somewhat incongruous in such a place was filled with ferns and white flowers in red pots of earthenware thus repeating the general scheme of colour red and white snow and fire with a spread of green in the viridarium nothing could have been more artistic under the peristyle and near a fountain whence water sprang from the conch of a triton to fall into a shallow marble basin with prismatic hues were several copper-topped tables near them basket chairs draped with brightly hued rugs were scattered in picturesque disorder one of them was occupied by a long slim man of thirty with a cigarette between his lips and a cup of coffee at his elbow he stared straight in front of him and looked up swiftly when he heard maunder's springy steps here you are at last he remarked somewhat coolly and glanced at his watch why didn't you turn up to dinner as arranged it's close on nine o'clock couldn't get away from my aunt replied maunders slipping leisurely into an adjacent chair she seemed to have the blues about something and wouldn't let me go never was there so affectionate an aunt as mrs bedge and never one so tryingly attentive considering that she has brought you up in the past supplies you with money at present and intends to make you her heir in the future you might talk more kindly of her maunders shrugged his shoulders oh the eton oxford education was all right she did well by me there but i don't get much money from her now and judging from that i may be heir to very little you ought to be glad that you are an heir to anything said vernon frowning for his friend's light tones jarred why asked the other my parents are dead long since aunt emily is my only relative and has neither chick nor child if she didn't intend to leave me her money she should not have brought me up to luxury and idleness it could certainly be better if she had made you work assented the host contemptuously but you were always lazy and extravagant i was born sitting down i am a lily of the field and a rose of sharon likewise an ass you think so said maunders dryly well i hope to change your opinion on that point before we part it will take a deal of changing but all this talk is beside the purpose of our meeting you've made this appointment with me and didn't keep it to the minute i'm nearly two hours late well what does it matter everything to me i am a busy man snapped the other sharply so you say maunders looked very directly at his host 
some fellows don't think so your business vernon interrupted i have no business i am an independent man and yet a busy one rejoined maunders softly strange there was the significance in his tone which made vernon colour although he remained motionless he certainly was about to make a hasty observation but his guest looked at him so straightly and smilingly that he bit his lip and refrained from immediate speech maunders still smiling took a cigarette from a golden case and lighted up you might offer me a cup of coffee vernon signalled to a passing attendant a cup of coffee for mr maunders with vanilla bean directed the other man i don't like coffee otherwise and hurry up please then when the servant departed he turned suavely to his host i forget what we were talking about so do i retorted vernon coolly maunders smoking delicately rested his wrists on the copper edge of the table and looked searchingly into his friend's strong face and vernon's face was strong much stronger than that of his companion he likewise had blue eyes but of a deep sea blue less shallow and more piercing than those of maunders his face was also oval with finely cut features but more scored with thought marks and his hair was as dark smooth and short cropped as that of the others was golden curly and odd adjective to use in conjunction with a man fluffy both were clean-shaven but vernon's mouth was firm while the lips of maunders were less compressed and betrayed indecision the former had the more athletic figure the latter a more graceful one and although both were well groomed and well dressed vernon was less of the dandy in his attention to detail poetically speaking one man was night and the other day but a keen observer would have read that the first used strength of body and brain to achieve his ends while the last relied more on cunning and from the looks of the twain cunning and strength were about to try conclusions yet they had been child friends school friends and so far as their paths ran parallel were life friends with certain reservations you were always as deep as a well arty said maunders finally removing his eyes from the other's face and turning to take his cup of coffee don't call me arty snapped vernon irritably you were already at eton when we were boys tall and short we are not at eton now i always think that there is something weak in a man being called by his christian name outside his family much less being ticketed with a confounded diminutive you can call me connie if you like as you used to i shan't or even constantine maunders is good enough for me oh is he the fair man glanced shrewdly over the coffee cup he was holding to his lips you hold to that i hold to the name not to the individual said vernon curtly you don't trust me i don't i see no reason to trust you ah you will when i explain why i asked you to meet me here said maunders in his frivolous manner i dare say go on his friend sighed what a laconic beast you are arty my name is vernon if you please always vernon asked maunders in silky tones the other man sat up alertly what do you mean i mean that i want you to take me into partnership partnership vernon's face grew an angry red 
"'What the devil do you know?' "'Softly, softly. I know many things, although there is no need to swear. It's bad form, Vernon, deuced bad form. The fact is,' he went on gracefully, "'my aunt keeps me short of money, and I want all I can get to enjoy life. I thought, as I am pretty good in finding out things about people, that you might invite me to become a partner in your detective business.' Vernon cast a hasty glance around. Fortunately, there were no guests under the peristyle, and only two men, out of earshot, in the Pinacoteca. "'You are talking rubbish,' he said roughly, yet apprehensively. "'I don't think so. Your father died three years ago and left you with next to nothing. Having no profession, you did not know what to do, and, ashamed to beg, borrow, or steal, you turned your powers of observation to account on the side of the law against the criminal maunders took a card from his waistcoat pocket and passed it along nemo private inquiry agent twenty two fenella street covent garden is inscribed on that card nemo means nobody i believe yet nemo as i know means arthur vernon of the athenian club the man addressed tore the card to pieces and threw them amongst the flowers. "'You talk rubbish,' he said again, and still roughly. "'How do you connect me with this private enquiry agent?' "'Ah, that's too long a story to tell you just now,' Maunders glanced at his watch. "'I am due at a ball in an hour, and want the matter settled before I leave here.' "'What matter?' "'The partnership matter.' There was a pause. "'Well?' i have nothing to say said vernon firmly maunders rose in that case i'll cut along and go earlier than i expected to lady corsoon's ball lady corsoon vernon changed colour and bit his lip yes she didn't ask you to her ball did she she wouldn't of course seeing that you were in love with her daughter lucy that young lady used to marry money and you haven't any but what you make out of your detective business perhaps if i tell her that you are doing well as nemo she might by this time vernon was on his feet don't you dare don't you dare he panted hoarsely and the perspiration beaded his brow oh maunders raised his eyebrows then it is true after all sit down commanded vernon savagely resuming his own seat we must talk this matter out if you please i came here for that purpose only don't keep me too late i am engaged to lucy for the third waltz and must not disappoint her vernon winced you have no right to call miss corson by her christian name why not she's not engaged to you i love her and as yet as yet mind you vernon i have as good a right as you to cut in i understood that you were as good as engaged to miss dimsdale oh maunders lightly flipped away a cigarette ash the shoe's on the other foot there she loves me but i don't love her still there's money in the business if ida becomes mrs maunders old dimsdale's got no end of cash and ida inherits everything as his only child but he wants her to marry colonel towton you know the chap who did so well in some hill tribe extermination in india but ida loves me and towton's got no chance unless i marry lucy corsoon and give him a hook in you're a cynical conceited feather-headed young ass said vernon with cold self-restrained fury and i forbid you to speak of miss corsoon in that commercial way much less call her by her christian name 
she loves me and i love her and we intend to marry if if lady corsoon permits the match finished maunders stretching out his long legs it's no go my dear fellow she doesn't think you rich enough for the girl i never heard that constantine maunders was a millionaire retorted the other man bitterly my face is my fortune old chap and there are various ways of getting lady corsoon's consent what ways asked vernon suddenly and searchingly looking at his friend ah oh, you ask too much i am not your partner yet that means you have some knowledge about lady corsoon which you can use to force her to consent perhaps i know a great deal about most people everyone has his or her secrets as well as her or his price are you a private inquiry agent also sneered vernon leaning back ah maunders seized upon the half admission then you are nemo yes assented the dark man reluctantly although i can't guess how you came to know about my business i wished the fact kept dark as it would be disastrous for me in society probably admitted maunders lazily one doesn't like to hobnob with an asmodeus who goes in for unroofing houses yet you propose to join asmodeus chafed vernon uneasily oh yes i think it's a paying business you see and i want money how i learned about the matter is of no great consequence and i don't think any one else will connect you with this nemo abstraction and when in partnership i shall of course keep it dark for my own sake i dare say sneered vernon secretly furious at having to submit and on what terms do you propose to join in the business you despise half profits said maunders promptly really you seem to set some value on yourself no one else will if i don't replied maunders good-humouredly see here arty oh then vernon if you will your business as a private inquiry agent is to find out things about people and-i beg your pardon but you talk through your hat interrupted vernon acidly my business is to assist people to settle business which the general public is not supposed to know i don't find out people's business they come to me with difficult cases and i settle them to the best of my ability yes yes said maunders leniently you put the best complexion on it old man but it's dirty work all the same it is nothing of the sort almost shouted vernon then sank his voice to a furious whisper my business is perfectly honest and clean the nature of it requires secrecy but i take up nothing the doing of which would reflect on my honour i have precious little money and also a logical way of looking at things for that reason i trade as nemo under the rose of course laughed maunders you don't put your goods in the shop window however i understand perfectly and i am willing to come in with you oh make no mistake my dear chap i am worth having as a partner as i know heaps about tom dick and harry which they would rather were kept out of the newspapers i don't run a blackmailing business said vernon passionately what a nasty word and wholly unnecessary i never suggested blackmailing any one that i know of all i say is that having a goodish acquaintance with the seamy side of society life i can earn my half of the nemo profits by assisting you and if i refuse i shall hint mind you i shan't say anything straight out but i shall hint that you are a professionally inquisitive person 
i don't know if you are aware of it said vernon slowly but you are a scoundrel oh dear me no not at all rejoined the other airily i am simply a young man with the tastes of a duke and the income of a pauper naturally i wish to supplement that income and your secret business seems to offer advantages in the way of earning immediate cash and if i don't consent you will do your best to ruin me socially that's business said maunders promptly get a man into a corner and skin him at your leisure well do you consent i can't do anything else that i can see said the other bitterly however you must give me a week to come to a decision take a month answered the visitor generously i'm not in a hurry to skin you old man you can't get out of the corner you know and see here if we make a fortune out of this business i'll give you a chance with lucy and take ida dimsdale with her ten thousand a year will she have that much oh certainly i made inquiries said maunders coolly it's no use jumping in the dark you know old dimsdale his christian name's martin was a police commissioner in burma some years ago and shook the pagoda tree to some purpose now he's retired and lives in a gorgeously glorified bungalow which he built at hampstead he's not a bad chap and ida is uncommonly good-looking i might do worse what about colonel towton i'll cut him out he's a very young colonel of forty-five handsome and smart but with precious little brain about him he's got an ancient country house in yorkshire and but here i'll be taking all night maunders jumped up and lucy is waiting for me you can take a month thank you said vernon frigidly i shall give you my answer then it will be yes of course you can't say anything else i say maunders threw a laughing glance over his shoulders by this time you must have changed your opinion as to my being an ass and he departed still laughing vernon ran after him and touched his shoulder not an ass but a scoundrel he breathed with suppressed passion and maunders laughter increased end of chapter one read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california